Could you please open your Bible to uh, Revelation chapter 13? I'm just going to take my jacket off. The heat is hitting me. It won't be long before I start sweating. Okay, uh, Revelation uh, chapter 13. As we're going to be tonight considering uh, the false prophets. Have you ever uh, read a book or listened uh, to a speaker to try and get a better understanding of an opposing view? It's a view that you disagree with strongly, but the the argument was so powerful and so persuasive that it almost convinced you to change your position. Such was the skill of the presentation. Or have you gone into a shop and the salesperson was so persuasive that you ended up buying a lot more than you initially intended? I remember reading a story, I don't know if it's true or not, but apparently one guy went into a shop and he wanted to buy some fishing hooks. And the salesman sold him a fishing rod and then sold him a boat and then sold him a car to tow the boat. I don't know if it's true and I'm not sure how he communicated that to his wife. Um, but you know, that's the power of persuasion. And the power of persuasion, this will be a quality that the second tribulation beast will possess. Uh, This second beast that we meet in our text tonight is known as the false prophet. And when you think of the false prophet, he's the Antichrist's right-hand man. He's not the Antichrist, but he points everybody to the Antichrist. Remember, Satan is the great counterfeiter. And the first beast, the Antichrist, who we considered last week, he is the counterfeit Jesus. Whereas this second beast, the false prophet, he's a counterfeit Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus Christ, this false prophet will point people to the Antichrist. Okay, false prophets have plagued God's people since the beginning of history. And their presence will increase as the return of Jesus Christ draws nearer. Okay, Jesus says that. He says that many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. That's a sign of the time. But there's never been a false prophet like this second beast. He will convince the unbelieving world that Antichrist is the solution to the world's pressing problems. He may well be the most eloquent, powerful, convincing speaker in human history, And he will persuade the world to worship Antichrist. He will be Antichrist's partner in Satan's massive final deception of the world. Now the Antichrist will primarily be a political and military leader. He will claim to be God. And the false prophet will function like a high priest. That the religious leader who will lead people into the satanic religion of worshipping Antichrist. Okay, this false prophet will convince unbelievers that the Antichrist is the only hope for the world's salvation. Okay, he is the answer to all of the problems they are experiencing as God unleashes his wrath. And this is what we have recorded in Revelation chapter 13. It tells us of two beasts, Satan's two great counterfeits, that he employs endeavoring to establish his own kingdom on earth. And in this sermon, we're going to consider the role of the false prophet 
in Satan's counterfeiting scheme as he strives to deceive and coerce worship for himself. Okay, that's what Satan is endeavoring to achieve. And we're going to consider the role of the false prophet in that scheme. And how I'd like to approach this portion of scripture is by identifying how the false prophet will function. Say some characteristics of the false prophet and how this can help us to guard against other false prophets or false teachers. Remembering that as the return of Christ draws near, as it gets closer and closer, there will be more and more false prophets. So although the church will not be present when the false prophet, okay, the false prophet, sows his deceptive seed, that's in the tribulation, the seeds of falsehood are present even today. Okay, so there's much for us to learn from this grand master false prophet. And I'd like to draw out four characteristics of this false prophet that will help us to identify lesser false prophets. Okay, so that's where we're going in this sermon. And with the direction determined, let's make our journey through the text. Okay, the first characteristic, the false prophet will be deceitful. The false prophet will be deceitful. Now, deceit is one of Satan's greatest weapons. It's one of his favorite weapons. Uh, his playbook consists of many different ways to ensnare people in the sticky web of deception. And the false prophet, Satan's master mouthpiece during the tribulation, okay, he will have his masters in deception. He will have this ancient art perfected. He will be charming. He'll be captivating and convincing. In verse 11, as we're introduced to this second beast, we're told that John saw another beast. The Greek word translated another, it's alos, meaning another of the same kind. So he's a creature that's similar to the first beast. It's important that we understand that they're not identical nor are they synonymous, but he's a person who is similar and works very closely with the first beast. The false prophet is said to have come out from the earth, verse 11, whereas the Antichrist come out of the sea. And some scholars speculate that this word earth, the fact that he come out of the earth, may speak of Palestine, meaning the false prophet will be a Jew. Okay, that's possible. But I think primarily here, it differentiates him from the first beast. You'll also notice that the description of this second beast is very different to that of the first. He's said to have two horns, whereas the first beast had seven heads, ten horns, and ten crowns. So this second beast is a bit more sedate. And he's described as being like a lamb. Whereas the first beast was described as being like a leopard, a bear, and a lion. So the false prophet is certainly different. Now the mention of horns, okay, the, the two horns, likely refers to power. Okay, that's how it's used throughout the Bible. And it could mean that he has authority in two realms. But the fact that he's referred to as a lamb. Okay, understand, again, this is a counterfeit, that this is copying Jesus, who is the lamb. Okay, in the book of Revelation, lamb is mentioned 29 times, and 28 of those times speaks of Jesus. 
Okay, this is the one time it refers to someone else. Okay, so, so again, we see the deceptiveness in this individual. Now, this image of a lamb tells us that this figure, this false prophet, comes in meekness and gentleness. So, so he isn't as authoritative as the Antichrist. He, he, he seems so harmless. Look, he's just a little lamb. But don't be deceived by his lamb-like looks. Really, he's the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing. And we're warned in verse 1 that he spake as a dragon. So yes, he, he appears so gentle and meek, but his words are satanic. He, he's Satan's prophet, and he will speak against God's word. He will blaspheme Jesus. He will tell lie upon lie. Yes, his speech will be subtle. It, it will be seductive, but it is satanic. And he will function as a religious leader with the goal of leading people away from Christ and into the cunning and corrupt worship of the Antichrist. And this will be his primary ministry. He will speak winsome, deceiving words of praise about the Antichrist, luring the world to worship the satanic dictator. So he's imitating the Holy Spirit who points people to Christ. But this prophet will deceitfully point people to the Antichrist. Yes, he will appear harmless, but that couldn't be further from the truth. And this reminds us that even in the church, okay, although we won't go through the tribulation, there are many false prophets Yes, they aren't the grand master. He's still to come, but they operate on the same principles. And we need to guard against wolves in sheep's clothing within the church. Yeah, and falsehood is often hard to identify because it's deceptive. If it was super obvious and it stood out, we would all see it. But often in the church, falsehood can give the appearance of godliness of spirituality, of love for the Lord, and yet that could well not be true. And hence we need to be alert, we need to be aware of wolves in the church. Okay, this is a task entrusted to pastors, that's why we're called shepherds, we're to guard the flock. But it's true for all of us. And we can't be so naive to think that our church is immune to wolves in sheep clothes. Okay, we, we can be deceived. This has always been a threat to God's people. And we need to continue to be alert and aware of potential dangers that are often deceitfully disguised. The second characteristic we see is that the false prophet will be powerful. And this is in verses 12 and 13. As Christians, we need to be aware of the danger of believing something is automatically from the Lord because it appears to be successful and even seems to have supernatural things occurring. Because that is not an automatic indicator of God's approval and blessing. Because the wicked one does possess some power. And this is seen with the false prophet. Notice verse 12. Okay? And he, that's the false prophet, exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him. So both Antichrist and the false prophet will be empowered by Satan. 
And that will enable them to perform certain signs and wonders. And this sentence also indicates that the false prophet will do these things with and for the Antichrist. Now this power includes making fire come down from heaven, verse 13. And this could be intended to imitate Elijah of old. If you remember at the prophets of Baal, he calls down fire. Or it could be imitating the work of God's two witnesses, okay, who we considered previously. They will have a very similar ability. So again, this is counterfeiting. And if this is the response to the two witnesses, it's like the prophet saying, well, hey, I can do these cool things as well. It's not like they are greater than me. And what we have here are undeniable miracles. And the most astonishing miracle is recorded in verse 12. It says, whose deadly wound was healed. And we considered this last week that the Antichrist has some kind of resurrection experience. Again, this is imitating Jesus. Okay, you say Jesus rose from the dead. Well, so have I. And this is either one big deception or the Lord will make this happen for his purposes. Whatever the case, the false prophet makes it seem as though it was his doing. And he was responsible for many great wonders, verse 13. Okay, the, the Greek phrase, it's the same that's used of the miracles of Jesus. And, and this leads to a, a couple of questions. One main one, how is this possible? Okay, how can this happen? Well, it's interesting that throughout the Bible... False prophets could perform supernatural signs. In Exodus, if you remember the story, the magicians could mimic some of the miracles. Not all of them, but some of them. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, God assumes there will be supernatural works accompanying false prophets. And hence he warns his people to judge a worker of miracles by their message. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, Jesus said that some worked miracles in his name, and yet they were false followers destined for hell. Think of Judas Iscariot. Jesus said in Matthew 24, this is like his discourse on eschatology, he said that in end times, false prophets would emerge and show great signs and wonders to deceive. And 2 Thessalonians 2.9 teaches that the Antichrist will come with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So, so this is seen right throughout Scripture. Not all miracles, not all signs and wonders come from God. That there has always been a devilish supernaturalism in this world. Okay, the, the, the Lord has granted them some power. And this will intensify as the return of Christ draws near. And the great tragedy during the tribulation is that most will be deceived. Okay, that they will be captivated. They will be enthralled by this prophet. All of these signs, all of these wonders appeal to the people. They're captivated by the miraculous. Okay, notice in verse 14, people will be deceived by the miracles of the two beasts. Okay, and so captivating they will be that Jesus says in the book of Matthew that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. In other words, so real and so authentic will these signs and wonders seem to be. They're almost the perfect counterfeit and hence people are enthralled. And this serves as an important reminder just because there may be evidence 
of the supernatural doesn't mean to say it's from the Lord. Just because an individual or a church seems to be supernaturally blessed doesn't automatically guarantee it's of the Lord and pleases him. Now, likewise, just because there are massive crowds doesn't definitely mean it's divinely blessed because most people are going to follow the Antichrist and prophets. So just because it appears to be successful and even seems to have supernatural things occurring, that's not an automatic indicator of God's approval and blessing. Because throughout history, even false prophets have been able to do some incredible things. Satan can empower some miraculous deeds. And hence, as one writer put it, he said, knowing all this, the emphasis on signs and wonders among some Christians is frightening. Some Christians say or think you can really know where God is and where his power is by signs and wonders. Thinking this way is to leave yourself wide open to deception. So we need to be aware of this as a church and understand that one's authenticity is determined by the message they preach. Okay? Is it in harmony with the Bible and their manner of life? That's a much clearer evidence of authenticity than the miraculous. So don't be deceived by large crowds and the supposed miraculous. Third characteristic of the false prophet is that he advocates idolatrous worship, verses 14 and 15. Now here we see an illustration about how Satan works. Okay, and this is how the world, the flesh and the devil will work in your life. It starts very slow. It looks favorable it looks appealing and this is what he does with the antichrist and the false prophet initially they look like the good guys that they look like what the world needs what what they're craving okay that these guys can lead us through that these horrible times okay that they can be our savior but then the mask is removed and it goes really bad it implodes into full-blown idolatry in verse 14 an image of the beast is made okay, and this follows all of the miracles so there's these signs there's these wonders that they had the people enthralled and and the people take the bait the hook is set and the wicked duo it's like fishing you know, begin winding them in and as the power of antichrist and the and the persuasiveness of the false prophet grow satan will escalate the false world religion of antichrist worship Humanity will eventually be completely under the influence of the false prophets. So much so that people will obey his command to make an image to the beast. And you can imagine how the false prophet would sell this. You know, look at him. Look at this guy. He's so impressive. Look at what he's done. He, he rose from the dead. He can be the answer to all of your problems. Surely you should worship him. Surely an image should be constructed. Now, this image that's made uh, to the beast is not necessarily an image of the beast, but like the image of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 3, it's a symbol of his power, it's a symbol of his majesty. And an idolatrous image of some kind is constructed, but understand, this is the idol of all idols. This is not just some piece of wood or, or stone, rather this is the upgraded version, this has the latest tech. Notice verse 15 says, and he had power to give life 
unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So we're not sure what this image of the beast will look like. It's referred to three times in this chapter. It's mentioned seven more times throughout the book of Revelation. And this image seems to become the focal point of the false worship. But notice this image. The false prophet gives it life. So it's animated in some way. It it can breathe. It can speak. So, So the false prophet will animate the image of Antichrist so that it gives the appearance of being alive. And with today's amazing special effects, technology and robotics, that's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. And apparently even in the first century, it's been documented that trickery, magic and ventriloquism were used to gain a following and worship by pseudo-religionists. So this has always been around. But certainly in the technological times that we live, the possibility of such an idol is very plausible. It seems to be some kind of robotic figure that will become a key part of worship in this worldwide religion. But what makes this idol particularly dangerous and deceptive is that in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, idols are mocked and idol worshippers are mocked because their gods are handmade, they're dumb, they can't speak, they can't hear or they can't move. But, but now we have this idol and it's different. Okay, it will be like nothing seen before with the appearance of life, the ability to speak. And the world in their time of desperate need will turn to this idol. That They will engage in the most shocking and blatant idolatry ever before witnessed. Okay, this is like Nebuchadnezzar of old. Okay, bow down to the statue, but this is on a global scale. And like Nebuchadnezzar, those who won't bow will be put to death. So a false religion on a scale never before seen is coming. And this will be led by the false prophets. And the construction of this animated idol will be the centerpiece. All will gather as one to worship with very few exceptions. As one writer put it, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, Hindus, etc. All persons of faith will join hands and heart in worship, praise and adoration of the Antichrist. No doubt each faith will retain certain particular emphases that characterize their faith. But they will, they must, unite in their devotion and dedication to the beast. This will be the most dishonoring form of idolatry the world will ever know. And this is all driven by the false prophet. And this teaches us something that's often true of false prophets, false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothes. The emphasis is on self. Okay, there's a self-emphasis. The Antichrist, along with the false prophet, ended up ensuring that they will be worshipped, that they will be revered, that they will be esteemed. And this is often a characteristic of wolves in sheep clothing. Yes, it's unlikely they will go to to those extremes. I would like to think we would all be pretty furious if there's an image of Brendan up here and you've got to bow before it. Okay, we should be able to identify that. But often it's, it's far more subtle. 
Okay, and they'll crave and chase the limelight, put themselves on a pedestal. Look at how good I am. It's me, 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 me. Okay, that's a telltale sign that one could be a counterfeit. So we're starting to get a, a clearer picture of this grandmaster false prophet and the smaller ones who precede him that we will potentially face. And the final colors to be added to the portrait is our fourth point. That being the false prophet makes non-compliance an almost impossibility. Okay, the false prophet ensures that it's almost impossible to live and not worship Antichrist. Okay, we just discovered that those who will not worship will be put to death. Okay, that's a strong incentive to toe the line. But he also implements one of the most well-known aspects of the tribulation period. Okay, if you were to talk to someone down the street about the tribulation period, they will probably be familiar with this, the mark of the beast. Okay, the worldwide government under the leadership of Beast 1 and Beast 2 will implement this mark. And without it, you will be unable to buy or sell. You won't be able to function in society. You will be deprived of the necessities required to survive and thrive. Notice in verse 16, the implementation of this mark is going to be global. It includes all, that there are three pairs mentioned in verse 16, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond. Okay, this is actually a figure of speech, which means all of the earth's inhabitants. So this is a way to coerce and enforce worship of the Antichrist. Okay, so think about it. There will be strict control over food, clothing, medical supplies, and the other necessities of life. And remember, these things will be in demand because the earth has been devastated. Okay, God's wrath has been unleashed. And these things will be unattainable for those without the mark. We're told that uh, this mark will be on the right hand or on the forehead. And this Greek word translated mark was the term for images or names of the emperor on Roman coins. And in the ancient world, such marks, okay, like the tattoos or brands, were commonly given to slaves, soldiers, and devotees of religious cults. Now, it's interesting that God sealed with the mark on the forehead the 144,000. Okay, if you remember that. Okay, and he did this to preserve them from his wrath that was being unleashed on the unbelieving world. Revelation 7, 2 and 3. So again, right here, this is another counterfeit. It's copying God. So the false prophet marks the unsaved to preserve them from Antichrist's wrath. And this mark will signify that a person bearing it is a worshipper and loyal follower of the Antichrist. Okay, so it's not just a case of, well, I'll just get this mark so I can buy food, so I can survive. Okay, not at all. You have this mark. It is identifying you. You are a worshipper. You are a loyal follower of the Antichrist. If you need this mark in order to conduct business and purchase the necessities of life. Now, what this mark will look like, we cannot be certain. But verse 17 mentions the name of the beast or the number of the beast. And that seems to give us a clue about the makeup of the mark. And then verse 18 gives us a number, okay, that famous number, 666. Six, six. 
Now, it's very interesting that verse 18 begins, here is wisdom. And I think the point of that is that this is written for those who will be present during the time. So they will know what is happening. But this particular number is the subject of an awful lot of speculation. I know one writer said this verse has probably had more ink spilt on it than any other in the Bible, and that could well be true. And all kinds of crazy ideas have been suggested. I'm not going to share the crazy ones. I've got two suggestions that I believe are the most plausible. Number one, ancient languages gave their letters numerical value. So it could be that the name of this individual will add up to this number 666. And again, that has led to an awful lot of speculation, but that could have some merit to it. And the second suggestion is that it could be more of a description than an identification. Okay, one writer said this, six is the number of man. He was created on the sixth day. He is to work six days. In contrast, the number of perfection is seven. And the superlative of seven is seven, seven, seven. The beast is the greatest man, but still a man. He is a six, not a seven. He, along with Satan and the false prophet, is a six, 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 a trinity of imperfection. Not now or ever will they be a seven, seven, seven. He is the best man can produce, but he is, ju- but he is still just a man. But you know, what, whatever this number signifies, it's very unwise for you and I to become consumed in unhealthy speculation. Okay, why? Because it's in the tribulation. We're not in the tribulation. So, so we don't need to be concerned about the mark of the beast. But what is very clear is that non-compliance is an almost impossibility. Okay, at this time, the pressure to give in and worship the Antichrist will be worse than anything that has ever been experienced throughout history. Okay, and think about that. There has been some horrible times throughout history, but this will be worse. Compliance will be forced in every possible way. And this is true uh, of all false prophets and of wolves in sheep's clothing. They will force compliance and there'll be consequences if one does not comply okay that there will be harsh penalties for not conforming to the demands of beast one and beast two okay we see that in the text and that's often the case with false prophets with false teachers with wolves in sheep's clothing okay if you dare to speak out against them if you confront or challenge if you rock the boats you'll feel their wrath in a hundred different ways you know if someone gets to a point particularly within the church that they're almost untouchable and the consequences for daring to touch them are almost unbearable. That's a telltale evidence that something is up. So this text has presented us with the false prophet. He's the grand master. He's the chief partner of the Antichrist. And his function will be incredibly influential in the events of the tribulation. And this portion of scripture is recorded for those who will endure it. It will help them to understand what's happening. But it also has much to teach us, especially about false prophets. And I'd like to leave you tonight with three lessons. Lesson number one, be alert and aware of false prophets. 
Okay, it's true that the church will not go through the tribulation. Praise the Lord. That's wonderful news. But the church has always battled false prophets, false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing, those who want to harm the church. And this will increase as the return of Christ draws nearer. And hence, we need to guard against this in our own church. Okay, we need to guard here. But we also need to guard what we consume online. Okay, through social media, through podcasts, through books, through articles. Because it has never been easier for us to be influenced in a bad way. And hence, we need to look at the qualities of the false prophet that we see here. And use them and use other criteria to ensure that these types of people are not in our church and also not influencing us online. Okay, there's lots of bad stuff out there that we need to avoid. Okay, so this is something that all of us need to take seriously. That's lesson one. Lesson number two, be aware of those things that point us away from Jesus. Be aware of those things that point us away from Jesus. The false prophet, okay, he points people toward the Antichrist, which means he points everyone away from Jesus. And there are many people and many things that strive to do the exact same thing right now. Okay, point people away from Jesus. And this is true in at least two ways. Number one, for unbelievers. Okay, for those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Okay, there are people... There are things, there are views, there are practices that are keeping you from Jesus. Okay, that they're pointing you to other things, other ways of salvation, other ways of contentment. But get this, you need Jesus. Okay, you need Jesus more than anything else because sin is your great problem and that can only be dealt with by the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Understand, you need Jesus, and I'm pointing you to him. He's exactly what you need, and he's all that you need. Come to him. But it's also applicable for believers. Okay, yes, we've come to Christ as Savior, but there are so many people in our lives there are so many activities we get involved in. There are so many influences, so many distractions in life that point us away from Jesus. And this is going to vary from person to person as to what it may be. There could be friends in your life who point you away from Jesus. Okay, you could have okay, terrible uh, media consumption practices that are pointing you away from Jesus what you watch, what you listen to could be pointing you away from Jesus. Okay, it'll be different for you compared to what it will be for me. But we need to guard against and remove these things from our lives. Okay, we, we don't want things that are pointing us away from Jesus and away from his way as recorded in the Bible. So that's the second lesson. And the third lesson is that the Antichrist and false prophet they will be impressive, but they're nothing compared to Jesus. They're nothing compared to Jesus. You know, I like the interpretation of 666 that says, six is the number of man. He's created on the sixth day. He is to work six days. 
In contrast, the number of perfection is seven, and the superlative of seven is seven, seven, seven. The beast is the greatest man, but still a man. He's a six, not a seven. And he, along with Satan and the false prophet, is a six, 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 a trinity of imperfection. Not now or ever will they be a seven, seven, seven. My friend, Jesus is far better. Jesus is far greater. Yes, beast one and beast two, they're impressive, but they're no match for Jesus. They're counterfeits, completely unable to save. And they will be very easily defeated by the returning Jesus, as we will see. The perfect Jesus, the supreme one. He he is more superlative in every single way. This is Jesus. There is no one like him. And if the false prophets will be so dedicated to point everyone to the Antichrist, I put it to you. How much more then should we be pointing everyone to the Lord Jesus? We should be pointing everyone to the real Christ, to the one and only Christ. And may we be faithful in doing that this week. May we be faithful in doing that tomorrow, in pointing people to him, both in how we live and in actively sharing the gospel. My friend, since Jesus is so great, since he is 777, isn't it only natural to point everybody to him? How how can we not be doing that? And that's the challenge for us this week, both in how we live and in also sharing the gospel. Let's point people to Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you uh, for this portion of scripture. And uh, yes, Lord, it primarily uh, reveals uh, what's going to happen uh, in, in the future. And uh, that, that's a comfort. You've, you've determined what's going to happen in the future. You're in control of that. Praise the Lord that for those of us who know Christ, we won't be there. Uh, but Lord, there are things for us uh, to learn and to apply uh, in our lives. And please help us with that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite Gilmar to lead us in the singing of our final hymn.